Hi everyone, my name is Sihe. I'm one of the Church Plant residents here at Rooted. Uh, such a great pleasure for me to bring God's word uh, to us this, this day. Uh, we're going through a book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. Uh, Reno and On have done a great job just to take us through the book, uh, showing us who Jesus is and showing us his kingdom. Just to introduce you to the book, to the book of Mark, uh, today we're in, we're in chapter 4. I think of it, it's it divided into two. Uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 8, it's looking more on the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And chapter 9 to chapter 16 is looking at his work. What has he come to do? I wonder how much would you say the identity of Jesus matters to us? Is it a big deal whether we get his identity wrong? Mark, he, he, he goes through great lengths to show us who Jesus is, to show us the identity of Jesus, because he thinks uh, for us it is important to understand the identity of Jesus for his, as his followers. Now today, our text today uh, is actually full of questions, uh, but I want to draw only three questions for our text today. There's a main question that we see in verse 41, which says, who then is this? looking at the identity of Jesus. Who then is Jesus? Is this? That's the identity question. But also there's a trust question that we see here. We see that in, in, in verse 40, it says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still have no faith? Do you still not trust me? That's the trust question we see here. And then we get a, a heart question, which we see from the disciples in, in verse 30, 38. It says, Teacher, do you not care? that we are perishing? These are the great questions we see from this text. But actually, what these questions do, they help even with the, 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 the next chapters that are coming, because even the next chapters that are coming are answering the same questions. Who is Jesus? Do we trust him? And does he care? I think those are great questions even for us to think about. So today, we are in a boat with people who were with Jesus. I think it's always a good historical method to look at the people or listen to the people who were there at that time. Remember what we want to know. We want to know who is this? Can we trust him? And does he care? Now let's, let's get into our text this morning. Now our text is actually divided into two parts. It's, it, think about, about it as, as, as two scenes. What, how it's divided is something happens, people are afraid. That's the first scene. The second scene is the same. Something happens, and then people are afraid. Let's look at the first one. This is what we see from verse 35 to verse 37. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. We are in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus and his disciples are in the boat. It's dark. It's in the evening. Suddenly, they are faced with a great storm. It, it, it actually says here in the text, it's a windstorm. It's a storm that was caused by winds. 
What we actually even see in this text, this text has a lot of, of hallmarks of, of eyewitness account. There's a lot of details here. Look at, at what it says. There were other boats there. It talks about, it describes the, the, the storm, a great windstorm. It talks about that the waves were breaking into the boat. It talks about that there was a stern. Someone was sleeping in the stern at the back of the boat. It talks about someone sleeping on the cushion. Great detail. Coming back to what's happening, there's a heavy storm. The boat is getting filled with water. I mean, I know I've heard this story many times. Sometimes we just think that it's a, it's a small thing, it's a small boat, something. Is, we don't really grasp what this looks like. In my, in my spare time, I, I love a bit of art, so I look at, it, at some paintings. I will look at some paintings. There's a painting done by Rembrandt where he actually paints this picture. Uh, I've brought this painting for us to actually see what this looks like. Uh, this looks, doesn't look like a small thing if you look at it. This is, is a heavy storm. People are about to drown. People are faced with death. They seem to be losing their battle. The water is coming in. You can imagine the panic. You can imagine people thinking they are staring death in the face. Meanwhile, Jesus is sleeping. The text says that he's in the stern at the back of the boat and he is lying on the cushion. He's sleeping. What a contrast. There's panic and then Jesus is sleeping. Ironically, this is the only place in the Gospels where we hear of Jesus sleeping. He's sleeping in the storm. Everyone is terrified. These disciples, some of them are professional fishermen who will know a thing or two about the sea, but they are panicking. They are terrified. This is not a usual thing for them. And what happens is they wake up Jesus and they say, we see that in verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, this is very understandable. I, mean, I read this and I'm like, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. This is an understandable human experience. When you are faced with the reality of death, you will ask the question. You would ask, especially for someone who is there with you, do you not care? I'm certain that there is someone, even today, who is going through some stuff and is asking the same question to God. God, do you not care? Do you not care that I'm perishing? Do you not care that my health is perishing? Do you not care that my marriage is dying? Do you not care that my clock is ticking? Fill in the blanks. Whatever. It's a human experience. You would understand someone asking that. Asking that. Now the question is, how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to this question? Now, this is where we get into the second part. Remember the first part? Something happened, they were terrified. The storm happened, they were terrified. Now, we get into the other part, the second scene, where Jesus responds, and how Jesus does it, he wakes up, he doesn't speak to his disciples, he doesn't respond to them, he speaks to the storm. 
he speaks to the storm, he says, be still, peace, be still. Now the language used here is the language of rebuke. Jesus rebukes the storm. It's almost like uh, rebuking a misbehaving dog. Stop it. Still. This is how Jesus speaks to the storm. Can you imagine what's going through the disciples' mind? Who can do that? Who is this? What just happened? Who does that? These are the things that they are asking themselves. And Jesus quickly speaks to them. He says in verse 14, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Again, something happens and fear comes. Jesus stills the storm and they are filled with great fear. At the beginning, they were filled with fear for the storm. Now they are filled with fear for this man. Now, that's, the, that's how the story goes. I wanted to ask two questions of the story. Two questions of the story. What this has to do with the identity of Jesus, but also what's this got to do with us? What's this got to do with the identity of Jesus, and what's this got to do with us? Let's start with the identity of Jesus. We see Jesus here waking up and speaking to the storm, be quiet. Be still. And the heavy storm shrinks and stops. Now the question is then, who is this? Who has this much authority over creation, over nature? Who has much authority? Now the disciples, most of the disciples were Jewish disciples. And even Mark's readers who 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 were Jewish will not be puzzled on who can do that. They will know who controls nature, who controls creation. There were people who were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. They will know who can do that. They will look back in, in the one in, in Exodus who splits the sea by the power of his word. They will look back in, in Genesis when the waters covered the earth who brought calm and life to chaos. They know God does that. They will look at Psalm 107. Psalm 107 talks about the people of God when they recount what God has done for them. I just want to read Psalm 107 for us. It says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. The Lord did that. Yahweh did that. And the disciples and and the Jewish readers will will put those pieces together. He is doing something only God can do. That's exactly what Mark wants us to see. Mark wants us to see that if, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. If he does the things that God, only God can do, he is God in the flesh. And Mark is saying to us, this is God in the flesh with people. 
The disciples have God in the flesh with them in the boat. Mark doesn't want us to wonder about the identity of Jesus. The person in this text is God himself in the flesh. That's what we see about the identity of Jesus. But Mark wants us also to see how does this say something about us. Not just about the identity of Jesus, but about us. Now this story, this, this narrative is surely about Jesus. The main actor is him. But you also find a supporting cast here, the disciples. And Mark wants us to see something about these disciples and learn something. Look at verse 35 or verse um, 39 with me. It says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith. And what it means there is, have you still have no trust in me? Often we read about the disciples and we have a tendency to mock them. We have a tendency to look how, how slow they are, how inconsistent they are, how wavering they are, and, and, and normally we mock them. But in this narrative, I doubt that's the feeling. Not for me anyway. In this narrative, we can actually relate with the disciples. We can see ourselves exactly like them. The storm drew out something different out of them. It didn't draw out a great faith. The storm drew, drew out fear out of them. And underneath that fear, there was unbelief, which was laced with an accusation that Jesus didn't care. Now, if you are honest, we can relate to that. Some of us are here right now. Some of us know what it feels like to have waves of life come into our own life, come into our boats. And we know how we respond to that. Fear comes in. Now, what we see in this text is that it's not just about fear. There's unbelief coming in here, which is why Jesus says, why are you so afraid? And he double clicks that, and he says, you still have no faith. You don't trust me. Your fear is because there is unbelief underneath that. Now, there's something we need to understand. Underneath fear, there is unbelief. When you look deep down in your own fear, you will find something you believe wrongly about God. Underneath your fear, is the belief that God is not treating me rightly. Underneath your fear is that God does not care about you. There's a story in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 1, I think it's Deuteronomy 1, what we see there is God's people, the Israelites, have been, they've, been come out of, they've come out of Egypt. God has done miraculous things to get them out of there. We would know about the splitting of the sea. God now is taking them to the promised land. And what happens there is, just when they were close to the promised land, literally on the border of the promised land, what they do is they, they decide to send out spies to go check out the land. And the spies, they, they go and check out the land and they come back and they give the report. Some of the spies says, it's all good, we can go in. But some of the spies says, they say, 
No, we can't go. Those people in there, they're like giants. Everything is big in there. And what happens is God's people, they were filled with fear. That's what it says in the text in in, in Deuteronomy. They were filled with fear. But as the story goes on, we read that it says, when they went back to their tents, it reads, Israel, Israel went back to their tents and murmured because the Lord hated them. He brought them out of Egypt to be destroyed by the Amorites. I don't know if you get that. Did you see that? They were afraid. But underneath their fear, they thought God hated them. Same applies with the disciples. They were afraid, and Jesus asked the real question to say, you don't trust me. The real thing is you don't trust me. And that's, that, that is so, that is something we can all relate with. Underneath our fear, there's a deep sense of we don't trust God and what he has promised to us. Some of us, we need a, a real conversation with God to say to God that God, in these areas of my life, I'm afraid. And the reason why I'm afraid is because I don't trust you. In these areas of my life, in fact, I'll I'll, I'll make sure that I I handle them myself. Because when it comes to this, I don't trust you. I don't think you're looking out for me. I don't think you care. And it comes out in fear. Some of us need to say, God, if I'm honest, I don't think you you care that my life is a mess. I don't even pray anymore because I don't think that you care about this area of my life. And it shows up in fear and unbelief. Now the the issue is, what do we do with that unbelief that, that is still within us? What do we do with that little atheist that lives in our hearts? Most of us. It's, it's always interesting when we, when we call uh, 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 people of faith or Christians as believers and unbelievers. Because the truth is, most of us are actually unbelievers. There, there's a certain of unbelief in all of us. That's why sometimes I like to uh, talk about Christians and non-Christians. Because when it comes to believers and unbelievers, most of us, we have unbelief. What do we do with that? The same thing we would do to anyone who doesn't believe. We share the gospel. We preach the gospel to unbelief. Even for us, our unbelieving hearts need to hear the gospel. We need to repent and trust in Jesus every day. And to many of us, the gospel comes in, it gets stuck in our heads, it doesn't come into our hearts. And because it's not in our hearts, when things happen, when storms come, we ask the question, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? We need the gospel. Now here is the gospel for us today. Here is the good news for our hearts. I want you to listen to these words. You don't have to be afraid. Even if, they be, even if there's something to be afraid of, because in a storm, 
A powerful God is with you, and a loving God is for you. I'm going to say that again. You don't need to be afraid, even if there's something to be afraid of. Because in your storm, a powerful God is with you, and a loving God is for you. What we see in this text, specifically in verse 41, it says they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They, were, they feared the storm, but now they fear the man who is with them. They are filled with great awe on who is this. Because the power of the one who is with them is greater than this power of anything outside them. It's greater than the storm that is outside them. But for them, they don't trust him. And that's the truth about God. The God who is with us is way more powerful than anything that is outside of us. But also, the, 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 the disciples ask not just a power question. Their question is a care question. Do you care? Don't you care? They're asking about the love. Do you love us? Do you care for us? And the truth is, if only they knew who they were asking, there is no one in the world who cares for them more than him. And their thinking is, if he cares, then they're not supposed to go through the storm. But, the, but isn't that is what everyone thinks? Isn't that what we all think as Christians? When we ask these questions, I'm not supposed to go through a storm. If Jesus is with me, I'm not supposed to go through a storm. But that is not what is happening here. We have not been promised that we won't go through storms. We've been promised that in the storms, he will be with us. We won't perish. If only they knew how the book of Mark ends. How he shows that he cares for them. And that's our advantage today. We know that. We have a resource that they didn't have. What resource is that? What do we know now? Let me draw you into the secret of this passage. What's really happening here? Mark is, is trying to get across to us that, that there's something more happening in this passage because of the way he puts this passage. This passage, he, he uses the language, almost exactly language, and, and the way it's structured is identical and parallel to the language that it used in another narrative in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is written almost exactly like our narrative. In the story of Jonah, we have this prophet who is sleeping in the boat when the great storm breaks out. And the sailors are afraid and they come to him and say, don't you care? Sounds familiar? And then after Jonah is, is thrown into the sea, there's a great calm. And the sailors are more afraid. Does it click? And what actually puts this whole thing together is that in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, he is the greater Jonah. So actually, Jesus looks back into this 
it has something to say about him. Jonah was in that boat, in that storm, because of the judgment for his own sin. Remember, he, was, he, wanted to go some, he needed to go somewhere else. He was going somewhere else. And that storm happens because of the judgment of his own sin. But the greater Jonah will come and be under God's judgment. Not for his sin, but for ours. In the story of Jonah, he is thrown down to the sea to drown so that the sailors, those people who are there could be saved. The greater Jonah on the cross is thrown into a greater storm, the wrath of God, so that the world may be saved. This storm we see in this text is nothing compared to the storm that threatens us for our sin and what we deserve. But the greater Jonah, he has laid down his life. He has perished so that we will have life and not perish. Rooted fellowship. If he was faithful to save us from the worst storm of the wrath of God, can we not trust him for the current storms that we are going through? Here's the good news. You don't have to be afraid because in your storm, a powerful God is with you and a loving God is for you. Remember what we wanted to know all along from this text. We wanted to know, who is this? Does he care? Can we trust him? Who is this? This is Jesus, God himself in the flesh with all power and authority. Does he care? Yes, he cares. Yes, he cares. He has calmed the greatest storm that we deserve. He cares for our smaller storm. Can we trust him? I hope we can. I hope we can trust him. Because our survival of the storms of life depends on that. Trust him today. Trust the gospel today. Speak the gospel to your unbelieving heart today. And trust Jesus for your storms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true and it's life. Lord, I do pray that your word will do what we could ever imagine. That, Lord, you will bring life to people who are hearing your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.